Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm your host, DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac, and today I have Natalie Egan from the D&D team on, and we're going to be discussing the latest starter set and more so the designs behind it, seeing as how it is the third introduction method into D&D 5th edition. But before we do that, we have a five-star review entitled whether you level up by XP or milestone, you'll level up here. And that is brought to us by Grey Jedi 505. I've been listening to this podcast for over five years now and have gotten tons of inspiration and guidance by the hosts, Chris, Mitch, Neil, and all of their guests. They have made me a better DM and also a better player. I wouldn't have had the courage or drive to DM or have my own D&D actual play podcast without them. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Grey Jedi, and if anything above what we do, you keep up the good work, and as always, keep on Dungeon Mastering. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys! <laughs> So today for the meet, we have another special guest, someone who has not been on the pod before, which is always exciting for me personally. And today we have Natalie Egan, the D&D team product manager. Natalie, thanks for coming on. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we, we've we we've been going back and forth on the email that I mean, if if people knew how many emails get sent to schedule a podcast, they would be absolutely <laughs> blown away. But we're excited yes. to have you here. So we'll jump straight into the interview section. Um, is there a little bit that you can tell us about yourself um, that you think the listeners would be interested in? Like, you know, your D&D story, origin story or your origin story with D&D, like joining the team, anything like that? Oh, yeah. So I, I've been with Wizards for a little over two years now, uh, but I actually learned how to play D&D uh, right when 5th edition was starting. My friendly local game store was having a learn to play event. I had always been uh, very D&D curious. I had my own separate like board gaming group at the time. And one other member of that uh, group was also D&D curious. So we went to the learn to play event and it just blew my mind like from the first session it was a feeling of like where has this game been my entire life uh and just I just latched onto it and haven't really looked back since and then once I figured out that uh Wizards was located essentially in my backyard up in Seattle I stalked their career page for a while until I found a role that I was like oh well, hey I do that so now I want now I, I work for Wizards and it's amazing Oh, that's awesome. Refresh, refresh. Um, so how early, this is just a personal, you know, personal question. So how early into the D&D 5e was that? Was it still D&D next at the time or was it already like fifth edition is out and come on down. Here's how to play. I think it was right as it was launching because okay. I remember everyone being hyped about fifth edition, like Ooh, check out these rules, come learn to play. Like they're really trying to get folks that were coming off a of fourth edition or just completely new to role playing. And yeah, I love, I love my local game stores for that. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I in those early times of fifth edition, this, and I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but I learned a valuable lesson that as the forever DM, it's not very fun to go with your party to something because they will all deem you as the leader. And that's not really what I was in for um, until we got there. And they're like, well, you're in charge. I'm like, oh, no, that's you know what you're doing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted. I didn't. I just came here to turn my brain off. And I brought all my players who automatically looked at me and said, yes, you shall be the leader of this group. And um, it you've was been a, dungeon mastering ever since. Well, yeah, it was a valuable lesson I learned that day that um, <laughs> if I want to go somewhere and only play, don't bring my players with me. <laughs> but the other question I have is, is there anything that you're currently working on and definitely will throw the caveat um, that you can tell us about. I can say a title of a book and it's like one line uh, amp, amp, amp phase, amp yep. saying it is the, and it's coming out early next year. It is called Keys from the Golden Vault. It is an adventure anthology that has a heist at the center of every adventure. And I cannot wait for this book. And I wish I could say more. But get your get your robes and your bards ready. Oh, so good. I love the anthologies because of how I approach most books. It's I, I like reading most books and taking what I want. And those are just which is super funny, I guess, for one that is centered around a heist, even more so that, you know, go and steal the bits and pieces oh, yeah. out of those anthologies and find places and spaces for them. I know some people try and look at them like always wholesale, like, oh, this didn't make the campaign that I wanted. I'm like, I don't know that they ever really designed them with that intent. It's there and those exactly. threads are there. Um, but I really feel like those are just so good to just steal bits and pieces from absolutely well okay we'll keep an eye out for that okay so this one will kind of tie back to the topic at hand um and it i cannot remember which of our patrons had sent it before but the question the surprise question i have for you is if you were a dragon what would you hoard oh man that is a wonderful question i would hoard house plants nice <laughs> i have uh one of my hobbies outside of work. I have uh, last time I counted, it was like 75 house plants. Yeah. I have a lot, like basically my entire living room, any place where there's a window, it's just filled with yep. filled with plants. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir. I, I tend to go for um, succulents personally, just because I don't have the greenest of thumbs. Um, though, okay. Again, you're bringing out things that I have not said a lot on this podcast. <laughs> the most interesting thing that that we have in our house that we've somehow managed to keep alive for a very extended period of time is we've had the same Venus flytrap for two and a half years now. Okay, those are actually kind of picky plants. So yeah, it's really great that you can keep one alive. Yeah, so it was starting to die. And what I had realized is that there because you use moss basically as kind of the soil, a different kind of moss has grown on the top and was slowly choking it out. It just like at first it seemed really cool because it's like, oh, there's this moss on here. And then you're just like, oh, no, wait, this is very bad. And <laughs> this moss is, is bad. Yeah. And so then I then I repotted it and now it's um, starting to come back. Also, just fun fact. And these, I'm throwing these facts out because the real world is rife for things for D&D because it is weirder usually than D&D. Absolutely. Did you know the Venus flytrap is a flowering plant? I did not know that. Neither did I until this giant stalk shot up and there was like this avocado looking thing at the top. And I said, I don't know what that is. And I don't know how I, I don't know how I personally feel about it. Um, this thing already eats a lot of flies and it was a flower. And it basically said, if you let it go, 
the whole plant becomes lethargic for about a year because it spends so much energy propagating. Interesting. I can do nothing else but flower this one beautiful flower. Yeah. Until I wither away. Yes. And the second time I actually let it flower just to have the kids experience like what that would look like. And it was, it was surprisingly pretty for being so, um, so terrifying and killing a lot of flies. Nice. Uh, I think the majority of my collection is Hoyas. Okay. Those are, they're kind of fun, kind of picky also. Like they don't know if they want a lot of water, no water at all. So I've, I've come to find that most of my plants thrive off of neglect. Nice. That's the way to go. Stop paying attention to them and they, they will tell me when they need water. Perfect. Okay. So we're going to dive in and talk about the latest and even saying it is starts a really interesting conversation. The latest starter set, which in a lot of ways is the latest iteration of, you know, the designed window or door into playing Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Like I said, it's a really interesting topic and I think it's really beneficial to our listeners to start to think about, okay, now that 5th edition has been out this long, why are these the design choices that, you know, the company that's producing it, making it? To say, hey, this is how we think now that players should enter into 5th edition. Um, Because in a lot of ways, I feel like the very first starter set was really good about people that had already played Dungeons & Dragons, but showing Mm -hmm. you now how to play 5th edition. Then when the Essentials Kit came out, it was really like, hey, if you don't know anything, or you've got a group of people that maybe played D&D 20, 30 years ago, and they're trying to jump back in, here's a lot of tools to facilitate you jumping in. And I feel like with this one, it's like, you don't need to know anything about anything, but come (laughs) on down here, check this out. Um, So, yeah, I think we'll kind of start the conversation there. Um, Like, am I am I accurate? Am I way off base or no, you are you are 100 percent accurate. Uh, You know, I from the very get go, the design philosophy was if you don't have Anyone in your life that plays D&D, if you've never heard of D&D, if you've never watched a live play, but you somehow ended up with this box set, like you could start playing D&D. And like that was part of some of the feedback over the past eight years that we've gotten from that first starter set was, oh my gosh, Fandelver is amazing. I love this adventure, but you really need someone that kind of knows what they're doing to run it. It's not the most best experience for brand new folks and so for this version we really wanted to bring it back to just start playing go small be simple like you don't need to create a character right now here's a really cool character for you we can get into character creation with the next set just hop in and start playing and so really you know making the adventure site small they made the character sheets a little bit more narrative driven uh, just to give that extra helping hand And then on top of all of that, we also created a bunch of resources that are on the website. You can go to playdnd.com. That is a whole new player resource hub that will walk you through the character sheet. It will walk you through a stat block and how to read it. It, We have a video showing like the very first encounter in this box set. So if you really have no idea, it's like, well, just watch the one encounter and maybe you'll start to understand how the flow works. Um, So we really put a lot of effort into making it a really like an an easy, simple, approachable first step. 
Yeah, it's and that I actually had gotten into a little bit of a discussion and it's totally positive discussion, which is weird to say about Twitter, but a positive discussion with someone about like what does what do complicated systems look like in their introductory phase of like, hey, come play this. And the idea that like we're so capable of having technology enhance our experience of like, no, like scan this QR code. It will literally take you to not potentially a video of how to play or even a video of someone playing, because I feel like examples of play are go a lot farther mm-hmm. now than they ever did before. Even if it's written like, um, you know, walking through player A says, I want to do this. The DM says, then I need you to do this. Player mm-hmm. A succeeds or fails. You know, just even those small bits of example play, because I don't think I've ever seen a D&D included and this is not a knock on literally anyone. I don't know how you really structure rules to be presented in a way that adapts for all people, because right. that could be a person that reads this rule book. And I'm pointing to it like um, I forget. <laughs> I forget I'm on a podcast sometimes. Yeah, you, Everyone, you, you can see that I'm pointing. But the idea that one person could read it and it just perfectly click and the next person could read it and be as lost as they possibly could be. Exactly. Or you see, you know, a 32 page rule book and you're like, I don't want to read that. (laughs) I just straight up don't want to read that. Give me a video. Give me a little blurb that says how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it's literally page one. uh, What do you want to say? Column one. There's a QR code that's like, hey, do you want to hear this person tell you about it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's a really good design approach just in just in general, like I said, because who who doesn't have their phone probably already in their hand um, right. or at least right next to them that you just scan that and watch the video. I think that like some of the ways that describing the Dungeon Master, I think, has is gone a, in a really positive direction because I feel like previously things have been presented more in the sense that like Dungeon Master knows rules and stuff. Players do stuff right and so there hasn't been as as well of a description of like what okay that's nice but what is a dungeon master and so i think that yeah so like those so i guess the kind of the question is like what was the the idea behind better presenting like who the dungeon master is and what they can be to me the dungeon master is the most important player at the table because they run so many things but really just recognizing i think that they are part of the party I think like it's not uh, dungeon master versus players. It's not world versus players. It's all about everyone creating a story together. Yeah, and I think I think the sentence. Some I mean, there were several sentences that stuck out. So yeah, literally, if you're listening, reading that, I think really everyone listening at least go read this bit is kind of what I'm getting to. Is that the idea? There was something that said that the dungeon master is the lead storyteller. Yes. And, and entitling it in that way is really telling of the idea that, OK, but that implies and is true then that everyone is a storyteller. The dungeon master just so happens to be the lead storyteller. Yeah, they're just directing traffic sometimes, yeah. but, you know, ensuring that everyone gets a space at the table. Everyone gets an opportunity to collab- be collaborative in the story that you're all telling together, too. Yeah. And there's a really interesting thing that be my professional world side brings into this. It's not necessarily that everyone's choices are chosen, but it's that everyone's voice has been heard. Um, It applies to the Dungeon Master and it applies to a lot of aspects of life. The idea that like, you know, everyone needs to feel like what they said had been genuinely heard, Mm -hmm. but 
you can't choose all the choices. Um, like one of my go-to styles at being at a convention is, is a note card. So everyone at the table, I say, hey, go ahead, write, you know, because I don't know these people. So go ahead, write three things down that you'd like to see in this session. I can promise that I'll get one of them in, but I cannot promise that I'll do any more than that just because oftentimes mm-hmm. they conflict with each other or they conflict with, uh, you know, because one person can easily write down, I want to see all of us succeed. I want to see us all die <laughs> on the same note card. And it's like, obviously, I can't really do. I, I mean, maybe I could try and do both of those mass resurrections. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but it's tough. So the, the idea that, again, but everyone feels heard now because they genuinely like, you know, they wrote down what they want to see. And then they start to see some of those things in, in play. Mm-hmm. So I the other thing I think about is tying it back into or well i mean okay no this one will be in my brain so i'm just gonna say it we're <laughs> stream of consciousness i love the art i love the art a lot yes. um uh, some serious homage to the 80s cartoon and it, it i love it and then it also makes me think and i will say these things and you do not need to say or react to these statements <laughs> in any way shape or form i am doing it definitely for the listener but the idea that these things are here and they've shown up in other places the likelihood that they will show up again seems high the fact that i've pre-ordered the action figures online I'm just excited to potentially see more from these characters going down the line. It's been from from fifth edition jump. Things have been hidden um, in books that don't show up mm-hmm. for years. So the likelihood that this is also true seem, seems like it could happen. But again, I, I'm just talking to myself. I'm not even talking to you when I say those things. Uh, I will say I also hope to see these characters show up in other places. I can't really say if they will or they won't, but I do love that they serve an aspirational purpose in this set. Like you see these adventures, I could be that wizard. I yeah. could be that fighter. Uh, and I think, yeah, it definitely, and also just like the Easter egg for all of us that watched the cartoon way back in the day. It is just very fun. And I'm really glad that we got to incorporate this artwork into the starter set. Yeah. Especially, I I think a lot of parents are starting to play with their kids, too. Mm -hmm. So having that just like, when I was your age, I watched these on Saturday morning. Yep. Yeah. And I had so these were these were a little bit before my time, but I certainly watched them when I was when I was younger. Um, And then I've had my kids start watching watching a little bit as well because I had bought that dvd set oh geez we don't have to talk about how long ago i bought the dvd set but i did um and then yeah so we've been we've been watching those a bit but uh, you know i think again that speaks a lot to the ideas behind that starter set you're giving these touch points to people that you know watch these how many decades ago mm-hmm. um and then like you said you're you're having them be this in- introductory piece or again the person that knows nothing nothing at all and they're like i don't understand what these characters are all about and then come to find but out they look like, cool yeah they're like oh what there's a whole cartoon that i can watch <laughs> um yeah and so the those kind of things as well so the the other thing i think of is when when this gets built especially the starter set like I, I kind of think of like, are there designs behind like these lead into campaigns do or is it more of like this is your first step and I hope that you take steps beyond it? Um, Like, I guess part of that is like kind of does that how does that come into play? Like when it's being built, uh, you know, it's mostly a like, we hope you like this, this nice little taste of D&D, like, please come and play more. But the fun thing about 
this starter set and the location, if you wanted to tie it into other campaigns, like this island is right off of the Sword Coast. So if then once you were done on Stormwreck Island, you could make your way to the Storm Coast and play through Lost Mine of Vandilver, or even the Essentials Kit is all based around the Sword Coast as well. So if you know your dungeon master could then create a, a travel to the mainland story, or you know if you were a player, like then take switch places with the DM. You DM the next next adventure and have the DM be a player, but. You can kind of tie it all together in that way, just from location. But they're they're all standalone. Yeah, and then I mean they, and then looking a little bit backwards because we had um, Shelly and Cade on to talk about some of the educational materials. Yeah, those, uh, so you know, excited. those those in so many ways are a really interesting session zero or almost like a session 0.5 to lead mm-hmm. into the starter set starter set itself. And those are built in such a really interesting almost DM-less way that like someone that clearly wants to be the DM probably is going to stand out in that Mm -hmm. process. Um, So, and those are, correct me if I'm wrong, but the educational materials are just freely available. They are freely available uh, right at our new player resource hub, playbnb.com. There is a educator resource and there will be the links to all of that. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't want that to deter anyone listening uh, because on verbal, it, it could be a deterrent to be like, I have educational resources. I don't want that. Um, but I do think it is a really beneficial tool. Like if you are buying this starter set for any reason to go quickly check those out, because like I said, especially if it's younger players or players that are in no way familiar with um, really role playing games at that mm-hmm. point, um, not just necessarily D&D, but like haven't really dipped those toes because kind of like your mentioning your origin story there's a there's a big difference between uh being really good and playing Catan all the time to now playing dungeons and dragons right. um, those, those aren't th- there are some helpful skills but there's only so many stories i can tell myself about why i keep rolling getting so many sheep <laughs> but but the idea that um the idea that this does really well again to showcase what it is like prior to play and leading into this. Um, and then, yeah, from there, man, I'm trying oh, to think yeah. of all, all the ones that you could pop into post this. I mean, Storm King's Thunder, if you go north, mm-hmm. wa- Waterdeep, if you want to go a little bit farther south. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, I was like, right around there. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> ah, Descent into Avernus is probably not the best for everyone Fair to jump much. jump in right out the gate. It's there, but I don't know that it's always the one I suggest. Like, ah, you just did the starter set. Descended into Vernus may not be the way to go, but it, it's a uh, it's a great adventure. But um, no, yeah, I so. think I think from the starter set, uh, if you're coming from a place of not a whole lot of experience with role playing games or D anD D, from the starter set, going to the Essentials Kit is probably your next best step. Uh, mostly because I feel like you then might be ready to start creating your own characters. And, uh, that set includes all the character creation rules. And you get a little bit higher level of gameplay. Like you get to go all the way to level five in that set. Uh, so you get those really sweet third level spells, uh, which we all know and love. Yeah, and I think, you know, and then I think, okay, Educator Kit, Ascent, or Educator Kit, Stormwreck Isle, Essential Kit, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Okay. That is a there's, very fun adventure. There's our path. There, there you go. <laughs> Someone go. To, say, I'm not, I would say pick up the player's handbook. Uh, in that loop as well. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. 
Well, I also think like even, I mean, you're already, depending on the affinity that your players have, because mine have just skyrocketed into loving having a ship and being on a ship with the idea that like you could also adapt um, Ghost of Salt Marsh into this. Because that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't, I put Ghost of Salt Marsh on the Sword Coast just because that's what my players are more familiar with. So I adapted Mm -hmm. it. Um, that direction so that's where they've been um, and my current campaign is Ghosts of Salt Marsh. Nice. I think you made a really excellent point earlier when you said you know take what works for you and your table and just plop that stuff oh, yeah. into what you're doing. Um, yes definitely it's like take a look at our other shorter adventures like I really love the Tales from the Yawning Portal book that has it's yes. also an adventure anthology actually has some really good introductory adventures in there uh the sunless citadel which is the first one is just top notch for for a new player new dungeon master adventure so i absolutely highly recommend that one and it has one of my favorite npcs ever okay who's that meepo yep okay i assumed i like yeah i that's really where i cut my teeth on being a dungeon master is those early ones the sunless citadel the forge of fury like around there yeah um i will throw a word of caution to anyone on that conversion from from three to five dragons got terrifying um so just be mindful they are are movers and shakers across the multiverse yes very very true yeah so dungeon master when you if you play either of those uh the sunless citadel or forge of fury be mindful that those dragons um are very very scary so just (laughs) just throw that out there i lost myself now all i can think about is that my my early three my early three five days threw you off with meepo all those memories come flooding back oh my gosh and try and then everyone wanting to get that white dragon and keep it and then you know oh, someone man. someone inevitably dying because that doesn't work that well yeah it's, and that's that's another fun thing about playing D. it's like okay we both clearly played through these adventures but we since we're at different tables different experiences but i love being able to talk to other folks that have played through the same adventure as i did to be like did you make friends with meepo did you accidentally attack meepo did you you know, notify the others. They, like, how did that work for you guys? What was that like? What was different between your experience and mine? But it's still like a totally shared. It can still be a shared thing. Like we went through many of the same steps together, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, th- that was another one that I was going to bring up, and it's it's perfect. We it's like we planned it. Perfect segue. <laughs> Uh, the kobolds that are in this adventure, I think, hold a really special place. And I feel like there are new Meepos within this just because, you know, really, they held such a dark place for a long time. Kobolds, like, you know, they're your entry level monster and, you know, you, you kill just swaths of them and early and in, in later. But the idea that they've, you know, they've been drawn to this draconic power from this island but then also that super simple concept of yeah they like dragons there are good dragons there should be Mm -hmm. good kobolds and it was just like well that's really simple and i don't know why i wouldn't have thought of that (laughs) really up until now not everything it has to be inherently evil yeah everything has to be mean yeah it was just this like retroactive moment of just like oh no that that always just made sense there was no point at which that wouldn't have made sense to me <laughs> it's just not something that i just hadn't That's thought your, of your friendly neighborhood kobold. yeah and just yeah the idea of then at that point you just you know adapt them to every make and model of dragon especially you know you know metallic and chromatic but then what does a gem kobold look like Ooh. 
And in the yeah, the or yeah. you know one that is long term in service to a gym dragon, um, or then you you know or you know when you dip into more psionic dragons and the lunar dragon. I mean, yeah. So mm-hmm. like every moniker of dragon then can have a version that is the kobold. Totally. And there there you go. So yeah. So do you have a favorite NPC from this? Um, I think it has to be Runara, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without spoilers, just she's awesome. Yep, she she is. Um, that was my first thing when I very first read it. I was like, oh, OK, I wonder when they'll figure that out. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good fun little twist. Yeah. And I also like that in a lot of ways, it's, you know, a lot of a lot of again, looking at the real world, like there's a lot of places and spaces that we as humans have chosen to live. Um, that aren't always conducive to us being there. I think of places that have hurricanes. I think of when my house shakes here in California. <laughs> I think of, you know, or the wildfires or, mm-hmm. or, 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 and just like the way that concept functions. Like, why is there a town on this island at all? Like, why would anyone do that? <laughs> like, it's literally like there is a storied history of how this brings dragons to this isle. There's a lot of dragon battles here. Why would you want to be here? <laughs> Shouldn't you avoid this area at all costs? But then you think, like, I, I mean, there's this prestige to it. There's this, you know, this ownership of, of the place. And then there's also, uh, to some element, it, like, the idea that it is, in fact, a natural disaster. And that <laughs> that's just what happens. And you you happen to live here. And your whole lineage has always lived here, and we always will. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll, we're stronger than these things that happen to us. Oh, that's right. So one of, one of the other things is that I've noted from all of the starter sets, and this one is no different, but I think this one does it very well, and you had alluded to it, that the character sheets take on a more narrative bent than potentially before. Uh, can you kind of speak to like that, that narrative approach for those? I mean, it's really just to for folks that aren't familiar with a character sheet, you might just like look at it and be like, what are these numbers? What do I do with them? I don't understand how to use this. So for the updated character sheets, it's like, hey, you have you, you have a mace. You can do this melee damage. And hey, when it's your turn, like we are going to tell you literally like roll a D20 and add this modifier if you if you get above a certain AC, like, hey, then you get to roll the hit. And we're just going to lay out in plain language like what that actually means. Like, roll another D20, add this modifier, boom, like you've just made an attack. Right. So rather than just have having numbers on a page that you need to figure out yourself, it's like we're gonna just add add a little extra language around it so you understand actually what that means and what you're supposed to do. So coming from just like a brand new approach, it's like, okay, like I understand this now. I it's telling me to roll a D20 and add a modifier. Yeah. Well, I also think of like even, you know, and this has been there there longer, but even on the the attributes side, not putting STR, typing out strength, mm-hmm. not putting con, putting constitution, you know, even even those simple things. But like you said, the attacks, because you know, I wouldn't have thought of it. I started in second edition. I I was looking at tables and charts mm-hmm. and all those things to kick it off. So by the time I'm looking at something that says mace plus four, one D eight plus four, 
you know, let's let's say that's my that's my thing. I get it. I don't have to question mm-hmm. what that means. I understand. And then I move on. But the idea that like, yeah, no, that's that could be pretty daunting because typically then it's also like, oh, but also here's your hand axe. Also, here's your unarmed. Right. Also, you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, this literally says mace in melee against a target within five feet of you. You can attack with your mace. Roll 1d20 plus four to see if you hit. If you do, the target takes 1d6 plus two bludgeoning damage. Ta-da. It's beautiful. It just takes all, it's taking the guesswork out of it. So you don't, you know, have to go and search through a, a 300 page rule book or even our 30 page rule book for this set. It's just trying to kind of ease folks into it. And really, I think a lot of going into the design of this, it was trying to really understand like what is potentially like gatekeeping language. Like you m- mentioned it yourself, like instead of just having STR, like writing out strength, because if you aren't familiar with our, you know, some of our language usage, you know, how are you supposed to know what STR is unless you spell it out for you for the first time? Yeah, that one probably that one. I, I always think about like which ones a person can probably figure out. Strength, I feel like a person's probably going to figure out. Con, maybe, but like even as a base word, like constitution, like that's not really how a, a person outside of TTRPGs is going to describe their ability to take damage or their right. ability to drink poison on accident. Or, um, and I think of like whiz and int. Yeah, like they're all oh, just yeah. a little bit tougher when you, you reduce them down to their abbreviations. And I think the other thing that was changed here that I think works really well, because again, the whole concept is this is introduction into fifth edition um, at this point in time, is that there weren't the ideals, bonds, flaws. But instead, it's like, no, this is your background. And this is your personal goal. Mm-hmm. So like, so yeah, can you speak to potentially some of that change to make it more? I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I assume it's just to focus that um, so that instead of having these four that you're keeping, it's just your personal goal. What are you trying to do? Right. <clears throat> and I think that helps tie the adventurers, the players to the adventure more. Like they want to seek out that NPC that they may need to talk to. It really just helps connect them more into the adventure. And I think get them into that role-playing mindset. Yeah, especially with just giving them the background information as well. Just really like, who is this player? What do you want to do? Like, what, more of the whys behind it to really yeah, get them in the mindset of being like, I am no not longer Natalie. I am Brunar, the bold dwarf warrior Yeah, with a big old mace that I'm going to smash zombies with. Perfect. We apparently will play the same character. And it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, the other thing I think of is like, you know, tying it more back into that that DM side of things. Any any pregen character that gets used now has an adventure hook. Any pregen character that doesn't get used still has an adventure hook that you can use exactly. because it's written down on the paper that no one's looking at other mm-hmm. than you. So yeah, it's just again. It's hard, and I am definitely going to say that this is this is more of a preach than a practice, but it's always best to really read through all the material of something like this before starting. I know that's not an easy sell, and I know that's not really what I do all the time. When I do, I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, this all does make more sense when I read it in totality. It's almost like that's how they designed it. Yes, I'm hoping that this one, it we're trying to break it down to make like each little adventure site, each little encounter area smaller 
just to make it easier for that DM, new DM prep. Like you don't need to read a whole lot. Just read up to this section, understand how the NPCs and the environment work together here and really like what is the objective of this area. Yeah, the individual areas do a really good job. And so it's broken into chapters for the adventure itself. And then, yeah, the individual chapters really do kind of say like, okay, ending this chapter. And then, yeah, the idea would be like, if you do start the next chapter, because even if you, even if you don't, I think of like, now it feels like forever ago, but it's not that long ago, but the adventure zone was going through the Lost Minds of Fandelver. And just based on the actions that the characters had chosen, just went a completely different direction. Didn't really finish what that adventure, not that it matters because mm-hmm. obviously they had a great game and, it was, you know, and this amazingly successful podcast and everything behind it. But like the idea that like the story they decided to tell veered off basically from like three quarters of the way through that adventure and then Mm -hmm. never looked back at whatever (laughs) that other quarter may or may not have been. So um, yeah, the idea that each of these could then turn into that jumping off point of do you, you know, do you do chapters one, two, and then go to the essentials kit and don't do three and four. I mean, it all, you know, it all depends on your party. and What works for your table. Yeah. Perfect. So so we're getting close to our time. So one of the things we do is we we give out homework. I don't know that it applies as much to this one of like things a person could do or read or experience. I would just then suggest that like go to playdnd.com and see see what's there. Because the other thing is, and I know this is another hard sell. If you read the whole thing, you also find out what you don't like. And that's just as beneficial. Yes, absolutely. I think like the main takeaway from this set and i think just D in general like use what works for you use what works for your table what is the most fun for you and your party and leave out the rest like what like this is your game it's adaptable to whatever you want your play style to be just use use what you like and forget about the rest Perfect. So the other question I have is where can people go to follow you, see what you're doing, um, all of those things, if you want to send them anywhere, of course. Uh-huh. I do not maintain a very strong social media presence. So that is I got- fine. I am, I'm not great at it either. <laughs> yeah, social media is a whole nother beast. So and unless, you know, folks just want to see cute pictures of my basset. Oh! <gasps> I do. I 100% do. I used well, to. Then I will it. send you my Instagram. Perfect. Because I used to have one. Oh, I haven't talked about this before either. Well, I don't know why. This one is a lot of things I probably haven't talked about. So I used to have a Basset Hound and his name was Thor. He Thor. was he was purebred, papered, huge lineage of all the Bassets that had come before him. But the the, the person who had bred him didn't want him because he was too big. He literally couldn't show because he was so far outside of their the class category for basset wow. hounds. So I never, I how never, big was he? So I never put extra weight on him because I didn't want to deal with hip dysplasia, back problems, mm-hmm. and all of those things that come naturally, especially with an overweight basset hound. So lean, eighty pounds. <gasps> eighty pounds. He That's was a big baby. He was a monster deceptively so because you his his legs are so short but he was big enough that none of the kitchen counters were safe he would literally you know pop up you know and then you have that huge snout he would grab things off calmly calmly and cautiously set them on the ground and then he'd eat all of them never make a mess (laughs) he would just calmly go steal your food set it down and eat everything but yeah he was 80 pounds that's 
That is amazing. My yeah. my pup is the opposite. I think he might have been the runt of the litter. He's only uh, 45. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, again, so big that they were the guy was like i mean i i can't show him i can't do anything and you know and you know and the idea like i would the, you know it, it's callous at some point in in the story but the idea that like that person then wouldn't either wouldn't want to breed him either because he's too big he's going to make another basset hound it's too big <laughs> so then yeah someone was like oh yeah we have this basset hound puppy he was eight months and then he comes around and I'm like, that's a full grown dog. That's a whole dog standing in front <laughs> of me. Big boy. Yeah. I do not know where this puppy is, but it's not that dog. Um, and so, yeah, I had him for quite a few years. So nice. oh, there that's we go. Awesome. Perfect. On that note, I had an absolutely wonderful time talking about this, sharing a bunch of stuff that I apparently had never shared before. And yeah, thank um, you so much for having me. This yeah, has been of course. great. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure out another time for another thing and have you come back on. Yeah, that'd be amazing. We just want to thank Natalie again for coming on, spending some time, giving some insights and shedding some light on that latest starter set. And of course, if you have played the starter set or if you just want to tell us which one you think is the best introduction for you into D&D 5th edition, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you see fit, you can leave us an iTunes review at Apple Podcast Review, Spotify, if your friend gives you the files and you just want to give them a thumbs up because of how much you like us, go ahead and do that. It always helps us. And of course, you can try and find us on social media. Um, who knows what that means anymore? And on Twitter, we are still at DMS underscore block. And just just try and find us. Dungeon Master Block. We'll be there. And of course, we're, as always, we are a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other amazing shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. And as always, thank you for spending some time and listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Master. Goodbye.